Hello, hello, hello. It is the Benefit Roast. We're doing it on Facebook Live. Say hi to everyone, Roger Brain, Bain, President of everyone. How are you today? I am Bob work with Roger's company. We're going to talk about how to uh, grow your network, not your PPO. So for you insurance agents and brokers, this is going to be a great opportunity to get some sales uh, wisdom and expertise from one of the people I know is one of the best salespeople I've ever met, especially in the insurance space. Roger, why don't you give a real thumbnail sketch about you and your career just because with people since it's our first Facebook Live that don't know who you are. Well, thank you, Bob. Roger Bain. I started back in 1986 as a, as a, as a life insurance. You look good. Yeah, the, the, the great life insurance company in Virginia uh, recruited me to be a life insurance agent. I moved uh, about eight or nine months after that to Sun Life of Canada. Okay. And I had pretty quickly found my niche already to be less life insurance and home and more. hey Sharon welcome and sorry more, we have that ability okay I see that and more about being uh, more about selling to businesses in the health insurance world okay. so I started selling health insurance very early in my career and I did that through 1992 when we converted to a wholesale operation where right. instead of me representing customers I now began building and representing products to other health insurance professionals that would then bring them to their customers. So B, B to C to B to B. Right. So from, from there, from business to consumer and then business to business and then actually building and designing products. In 1998, we started building our own products that were available for the market to buy. Self-funding products. Self-funded benefit plans. So they go back that far? They go back that far, even in the small group. We were selling groups wow. as small as five back in 1998. I, could, I thought you couldn't buy, sell to small groups. That's the rumor. Well, there is a lot of people that think that, but and a lot of people that think that it's new, and it's really not new. We've been doing it for over 20 years, and okay. so that's a really good thing. In fact, while I was a broker, I sold small groups self-funded to groups as small as 20 employees back then. Wow. So that was 1988, 87. Okay. So self-funding has been around in various group sizes for a long, long time, and people think that there's some great earth-shattering science to it that's changing in recent years, and it really hasn't. It's been there. The technology's been there. It's just the number of people that are understanding and able to utilize it better are finally growing. And so we've been doing this for a long, long time, and here we are several years after the passage of the ACA, and we find ourselves becoming more and more attractive to small group and large group consumers alike that are really just stuck in this Great American healthcare crisis. Okay, so what's the biggest um, transition in those thirty years that you've been doing this that you've seen in the industry since we went down that road? I just want to take you a little further down that road. Wow. Well, I think the biggest transition comes from health uh, healthcare regulators. Okay, and therefore our legislature. So state legislators all the way up to Washington D.C. and Congress. They are all trying to change the shape of this business to try and control costs, but they keep failing. Are they really trying to control costs? It sounds like they're trying to, they say that, but that's not what I see in well, the legislation they pass. Well, let's, let's put it this way. Consumer protection comes in a number of different forms. 
right? All the way back to 1987, our healthcare debate was- Hey, Randy, uh, thanks for joining us. Our health healthcare debate back in 87 was access and affordability. And that debate still continues today. So the regulators get involved in attempt to provide protection to the consumer, which guarantees access to health insurance and health care, and make it affordable so that they have access because they're codependent terms. You have no access to health care if you can't afford that health care. You have no access to health insurance if you can't afford the premium. So those things are codependent, and we've been struggling with legislators for many, many years trying to get them to understand exactly how to achieve the goals they need. In Maryland in 1992, we passed sweeping state reforms on small group health insurance, which made some difference for a while, but again, had challenges. You want to do this one? Okay, that's my Hey, hey Pat, how are you? How are you? I like interrupting Roger every chance I get. And so what happened in this healthcare reform battle is the unintended consequences, you know, always the law of unintended consequences. In Maryland, we guaranteed issue for everything except individual health insurance. Okay. And in the individual health insurance world, you could get full medical underwriting and really inexpensive rates. So when the small group markets started to climb up in costs, people would bail out and buy individual coverage until they got sick. And then they'd come back to the group plan. And so there's a variety of things that go on that are very similar to what we see later on since the passage of the ACA. And so this is why we see all of the challenges. And what happens is the regulators, for whatever reason, believe that the insurance industry is the major, if not the prime culprit. And the insurance industry has had some practices over the years that I would not consider friendly. And I didn't like and we rallied against those as well when we passed small group reform legislation and then HIPAA and then the ACA. But when you go a little bit further past that, you realize that today that's not the problem. The problem is health care. Okay. And if we don't attack cost, health care, and the value of health care for the American people, we have nothing. We will continue to have escalating bills and challenges that keep the American consumer from being able to feel comfortable and secure that they can get health care when they need it the most without bankrupting their family and losing their homes and their cars. Okay. Hey, DB, how are you? One of your uh, whiskey friends. You, 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 sure, you shared uh, an opportunity in a hotel room with that person. So we, found, we figured something out today. Yeah, we did. Uh, so, Roger, tell me how self-funding fits into the equation today, because a lot of people, I hear this all the time, I bring up self-funding and, and it's immediately, no, that won't work, that's not going to be good. Well, here's, here's the reason why. I mean, self-funding, the term is threatening in itself, right? Because you're looking at health insurance and you have health insurance all your life and you pay a premium to the big blue carrier. and It sounds like this. Right. And they take care of everything. And so that's what you have. Hey, Linda, thanks for joining us. Now, when you talk about self-funding, now you're talking about the employer. And the self-funded arrangement is an arrangement between an employer and the employees, where the employer says, I'm going to provide your benefits to you instead of going to Big Blue, okay. one of the other guys. Okay? I'm going to provide those benefits. But providing those benefits has a big cost looming out there, right? What happens in the event of that catastrophic claim? What happens when things go crazy out of sight? 
Well, that's when the insurance kicks in because in a stock, in a self-funded health plan, you still buy insurance. The difference is instead of the employee being guaranteed coverage from the big insurance company, the employer guarantees that coverage to the employee and then buys a bunch of insurance to make themselves. Okay. So there's still plenty of insurance in the equation. Any of the big catastrophic claims, you're still going to lay off on a big insurance company. Now, it might not be one of the big four. And this is one of the interesting tricks of the trade, right? There are hundreds of insurance companies that offer coverage for health insurance. But if you go out in your state for, for stop loss insurance, excuse me, okay. but if you go out to your state exchange and look for health insurance for small groups, you're going to find four or five tops. Okay. Right? So now we add competition, we reduce regulation, we give people more flexibility in how they build and design their benefits, and yet still provide plenty of insurance so that employer doesn't feel that he's at any great risk. That's the beauty of self-funded. And if I understand correctly, and, and for those of you who just joined us, Roger Bain, president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation. I'm Bob Graham, who does some work with them, and we do a podcast each week, and we're taking it to uh, Facebook Live today to reach a new audience. And so uh, my understanding is that there's a stop-loss policy in the aggregate for all the employees for big, that hits a number and, an, and a per-employee stop loss policy and that the owner of the business can manage that risk in those numbers so it's not like a one size fits all is that correct well that is true you you have what we call specific stop loss and again i don't want to get too granular necessarily today because we can boil it out in a lot of things that sound more complex than they are but the reality is you get one policy that covers any one person in your health plan they have claims more than X number of dollars, the insurance company takes over. So the employer says, oh, okay, I can manage that. If something to that level happens, they know their dollar amount. They know their dollar amount. Well, then what if that dollar amount is easy for the employer to imagine for hey, one Dana, or two? Hey, Daniela. It's easy on one or two employees, but what if everybody got sick? And this is really apropos today in our discussion of the coronavirus, right? I, I, I was going to say that. What if all my employees are in this tent the parking lot and they're all sick because they all have coronavirus and they're all being cared for and they're on oxygen and all these expensive things so that every member of my group has this expense up to that stop loss limit that the company takes over. That's where the aggregate coverage comes in. So you get two forms of coverage. One that says no one employee is going to cost you more than X number of dollars. And two, your entire group, no matter how sick, will never cost you more than X number of dollars. So it so, is managing risk. So you're, you're, you're controlling, actually you're insuring, you're laying off the risk to an insurance company and managing the budget underneath that. Okay. Right? So you look beneath that risk, the risk you're laying off. I, I would say risk is that of the unknown. Right. Absolutely. You're, you're laying that part off. And now you've known you have a known budget. And that budget that remains is actually on the good side. If you spend it all, you spend it all. But if you don't spend it all, you keep it. You get it back. You don't give it to the big blue insurance companies. You get to keep it. Okay. So that's a big advantage in the world of self-funding. Along with the flexibility and all of the other things we achieve. That's one of the greatest ideas. And roughly how many companies do you have under self-funding with your 
organization right we have, now? We have hundreds of companies that are in okay. self-funded arrangements, probably equivalent to $100 million worth of fully insured premiums. Okay. So we have a lot of small accounts and, and medium accounts, but it's that type of business. Um, we have multiple carriers. We offer a lot of different options. We design and build our own in, in some cases as well. And many, most of our business, we have designed and built ourselves. Okay. So all of those things are available to us in a variety of different ways. If I'm a business owner or an insurance broker, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about that make me go, hey, I should explore self-funding? Well, first of all, there, there's a couple of things. If, if you're an employer and you're in a relatively active business, okay, you're a drywall contractor. Okay. You have 23 guys, they're all under 40 and they're hanging drywall every day, they're healthy, they're strapping if they're carrying drywall around, right? So you've got a healthy group of employees and you're managing that prospect. Very, very often, if you have a number of healthy young employees where your group averages below age 40, okay. you should be self-funded. Okay. No, there, there's no ifs, ends, or buts. It's a slam dunk that that group, as, as described, should be self-funded because the amount of money you're paying to subsidize editors down the street that aren't so healthy and aren't so young can be really ungodly for a small business owner. When you talk about a small business owner, and I've been a small business owner for the better part of 35 years, as such, your number two expense is employee benefits. And when you're looking at that type of an expense, the opportunity to save 20 or 30% of that is huge. Sure. And if we can save 20 or 30% of that and then still affect and reduce the cost of claims and get more back, now that's why I say no-brainer. Right. However, if you're an old law firm and all of your partners are 50 and above, so your average age might be 57 years old, well, then there's a thing in healthcare reform that compresses rates as you get older and you're going to be protected by that. So you're not likely to go self-funded. You're going to stay in that fully insured market, you know, those market protections. So it really depends. I mean, there's a lot of things to look at. The other thing to look at, and probably one of the most pertinent things for all employers to look at today, and I mean all, small, large, it doesn't matter. If you want good benefits for your employee population and qualify for those, then you have to look self-funded because the products on the street today in the world of fully insured are getting worse and worse. The apps being sold are $3,000 or more, and employees hate that. Self-sorry, I'm living it. Yeah, in the world of self-funding benefit plans, we do much better. We have much more old-school, old-fashioned benefits that drive value to the employee level so they can get better benefits for less money and that's a big part of the solution. Okay, so if I'm an employee in a company, what kinds of things should I be thinking about and what should I be saying to my manager or the bosses? What situation should it be that I go, hey, I was on this webinar, this Facebook Live thing, and uh, this guy was saying that we should be looking at this. What are some of the buzzwords? What are some of the things they should be exploring? Well, I think the first thing is you just take a snapshot of your group in your own mind. Most employers in the small group arena, especially, have a pretty good idea of what's going on in their group, okay. right? My group is reasonably healthy. I haven't had anybody in the hospital for two weeks. I don't know of anybody with cancer having these issues. Two 
two weeks long, you mean? Yeah, exactly. In the last two weeks. Right. Just Nobody's, to be clear. nobody's been admitted to the hospital for some catastrophic or chronic illness. Everything looks good. We're rolling along, but I'm paying so much money to the insurance company that I cannot possibly imagine that I'm getting that much back in benefits. Well, then you would reflect, then you'd be one of about 70% of small employers that pay more in premium than they get back in benefit. Wait a second. Hold on. Say that again. About 70% of employers pay more in premium than they get back in benefit. Now, here's another statistic. If you want to see how that statistic matches up, 3% of an insurance company or, an, or a large employer's members, 3% represent over half of all claims filed. So that 3%, the sickest 3%, the, 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 is using half of the money that all employees are contributing. That is correct. Actually, no. Half of all claims. Karen, welcome. The whole, Thanks for joining us. Half of all claims for the entire group. Right? So an insurance company, a big insurance company that has a billion dollars worth of premium, uh, of that, let's say half is set aside for claims or, or let's say a billion set aside for claims. There's right. a cost for insurance on top sure. of that. Billion dollars worth of claims set aside. Three percent of that insurance company's population takes half of that. And what's really frustrating is that twenty percent of that employee population takes one percent of it. So at the other, so at the other, extreme. At the other extreme, the young, the healthy, or or just the healthy in general that don't aren't big utilizers, oftentimes spend zero to a hundred dollars in a year. A flu a shot. A flu shot. A, an antibiotic, who knows what, right? Very basic stuff, if that. And so they can go years without any healthcare expenses. But they're paying their premiums they're every month. They're paying premiums every month, and hopefully their employer is subsidizing that because they wouldn't do it on their own because they know it's crazy. Right. Right? Who spends $6,000 a year on premium when they know all they're doing is an office visit? If that. Right. If that's well, they spend it because they're afraid of breaking a leg or something serious and all right, or whatever. So all of a sudden we're talking about this massive expense for insurance for something like catastrophe that happens once in 20 years and the system starts to break down because then those people say, I'm not buying, it. I'm not going to do okay. it. And so. So that's the problem. When you look at the mix, it's the old 80-20 rule, right? 20% of the population is going to represent 80% of the claims. And because of that, that trickles down into the group arena as well. If you have small groups, oftentimes that entire group has very little health care. I've had 16 life groups that spend $1,000 a year for the whole group Wow, for health care. So that group is paying the same price as the guy that spends $16 million. And that's a real challenge. And so those are the kinds of things that you need to get over. So the first thing for an employer to look at is just kind of look at your group and think about it for a moment. Right? That's the first thing. Hey, Ritter, welcome. The second thing to do is once you look at your group and say, wait a minute, I know what I have. I know what I'm looking at. Then look at your industry. You know, some industries, believe it or not, for whatever reasons, spend more on healthcare. Doctors, nursing homes, lawyers. They, they utilize more health care than the rest of us. I don't know why, but they do. Accountants, IT, technology firms, banking, white-collar stuff, construction trades, all spend less than those uglier industries. And so if you're in any of those segments, automatically you know 
that you're paying a surcharge in the fully insured world to subsidize the bad risk guys over there. So it's always that kind of a challenge. Okay, let me ask you another question. This is great. I really appreciate we're talking to Roger Bain, who is the president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation, a self-funded uh, insurance brokerage. And I'm Bob Graham. I do some work with them, and we do this benefit roast, as you can see, every week. And we're trying it on Facebook Live today. And I like her because we're getting we're getting some nice feedback from people. So if I if my company self funds, do I get an insurance card, and do I go same way to to get care as I would if I were at a fully insured company? Uh, yes, you do. I mean, okay. if you're in the self-funded world, you're going to get an ID card. You're going to have somebody that manages your entire plan. It's going to look and feel like an insurance plan. Okay. Okay. But it's going to have a different financing mechanics behind the scenes. But the so employees, employees won't really see much change. Many times these don't know the difference. And they're not that concerned about it to examine the difference. But the bottom line is you get good quality protection for everyone involved anyway. So the bottom line is you get an ID card. It might mention a network of providers. It might not, depending on what kind of plan you build and design and buy. But the bottom line is you get an ID card. You go see your provider. Claims are filed automatically through that network, just like anything else, just like the big insurance companies. Okay. Bottom line is you're more efficient. You're more cost effective, you're more flexible, and if you don't spend the money, you get it back. Okay. Uh, so, pretty good deal. <laughs> if you think yes, yes. It, did we cover everything you think, or did I leave some holes? I've been trying. Well, I think for, for this particular venue and our first time going out on Facebook Live, it's probably a good level of depth to dig into. I think if we if we find that our audience wants to dig into more, I think in future meetings we can dig into more granular components of these things. Uh, let's let's take a look at that. But as far as what we do and how self-funded works for the employer, that's the number thing. Number one thing, I will. I'm pretty convinced that at least half of all small employers under 50 employees should be self-funded. If you're over 50 employees you're even more likely that you should absolutely be self-funded. And okay. the larger you get, the more obvious it becomes. And most of the big companies in this country are self-funded. Most of the big companies in this co country are self-funded. In fact, for all of you saying this self-funded sounds crazy, well, just remember that about 65% of the American workforce is covered by a self-funded health plan. But it and hasn't it, trickled down to small employers. And it might even have a blue logo on the card and still be self-funded. Don't let them fool you into thinking self-funded is some big mystery. Because occasionally, a competing broker who wants to sell that other guy because he doesn't know much else will say all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But the bottom line is your, your board of education is self-funded. Your state employees are self-funded. You know, Again, universities why, tend to be big universities, universities tend to be big organizations. Any large corporations, almost all of them. I mean, just a very high percentage there. So the bottom line is self-funded works. It's not some mystery game. It's not a shell game. It's not some smoke and mirrors. And it's fully legal. That's practice that is legal and very competent and just drives great results. Otherwise, the largest companies in the country wouldn't be doing it. Right. So what's the process? Help me understand. If I'm company X and we want to explore self-funding. Let's talk about that because one of the specialties of my firm is to take those benefits that these large corporations are able to take advantage of and bring it down market so that the smallest of employers 
can get the same advantages of self-funding. Down to five employees. Down to five employees, okay. wow. in some states two or three. So the ability to drive coverage down to that level means I can drive all of the benefits that large groups get down to that level. And that could mean a lot of things. And, and we'll dig into that in another meeting in the future. But the bottom line is we're driving better results by doing it that way. The largest corporations in America aren't doing it just for fun. They're doing it because they're saving money and getting a better job. And, and that's what we do. So the second, so you asked me the process. The process is first, give us a call. I'm at 443-275-7412. That's Roger Bain. Or they can use this really cool technology called Facebook Messenger. Or you can send me a message on Messenger. He, he's all about Facebook. Right. And what we'll do is what we do is basically ask you for a little bit of data out of the gate. We talk to you a little bit about your company, what you have, what you don't have, like, and what you don't like about where you are today. And then we'll help do a group risk assessment that will help you determine whether you're one of those groups that absolutely should be self-funded. And that's no risk, no cost. Correct? No risk, no cost. It's, it's a little bit of work. We do most of the work behind the scenes. You do a little bit of distributing and communicating to your employees, and then we go from there. Hey, Henry, thanks for joining us. Henry, great to see you. So that, that group risk assessment, I know that's a really valuable tool. Can you talk for a second about the value of that tool? Well, yeah, I can. For, for many, many years, we as consumers have had to give the insurance company all kinds of information, right? I mean, you, you've all bought life insurance. You've all filled out a health insurance application in your life. You've all bought auto insurance or other things. Auto insurance may be a little less. It's more database driven, so it's not as complex. But when you buy insurance for a lot of things, you have to answer a lot of questions, right? Mm -hmm. So you're answering all these questions. And as an employer, you're driving a whole lot of information over to an insurance company. And what you have gotten back historically is a yes, a no, or a new number. Yes being yes will ensure your employees know right. yes, we're not going to yes, assume we'll insurance at the rate we promised. No, we can't keep that promise. Or oh yeah, we can keep that promise, we can give you coverage, but it's gonna cost you 25% more than we had projected based on what we learned we did your data. Right? So and the employer is powerless in that The employer, scenario. number one, is powerless, and number two, has no information, no answer. Well, why? Well, I can't tell you all that. Well, okay. see, this is, a, this is a mainstream challenge that I, I hate about our industry. The bottom line is the employer has a right to know. He's buying benefits, and he has a right to know why he's getting a rate up and why it costs more. So what we'll do is we'll provide a group risk assessment for that employer that gives him a full report on what's going on in his group, why is cost expensive? What is prescription drug cost is projected to be on a given month? All of those types of ideas so that the employer can now help fix his group if it's got a problem. You can't fix what you don't know is broken. And the problem could be as simple as a lot of hypertension or a lot of overweight employees. Bob, we have, wellness. We've seen groups where close to 70% of the population had high blood pressure. Okay. And they had no educational program and no worksite wellness and no ideas on how to help the employees get healthier and control that high blood pressure. And that's a, a huge thing. Sure. Lifestyle choices like that, treatment for high blood pressure, diabetes, COPD, those types of things represent about 70% of our health care costs in this country. Okay. So we've got to get a handle on that 
But you can't get a handle on that if nobody's telling you what you've got. So we do a group risk assessment that gives the employer valuable intelligence that helps them make a difference in how they build their strategy for the years forward so they can get themselves back into a preferred rate status, provide their employees with better benefits for less money, and that's how everybody wins. And that's there's no cost at this point, right? There's no cost in, unless or until you decide to buy the coverage. So if I were an employer, it would be a great idea just to contact you and do this group risk assessment so I could better understand all. If you're an employee, all means if you're a health insurance broker, even more so. We're so confident that it works that for health insurance brokers, if they get two out of 10 groups that they bring through our system, we pay them to bring them into the system. Okay. Just to try it. So, you know, we, we, the bottom line is we know it works. We just need people to try it. Okay. Which is frustrating to you. We've talked about this well, a lot over the years. I mean, we do a lot of business and we're really happy and we're comfortable, but we could be helping more people if we just had a little more open-mindedness. Okay. So that's all. Okay. So give us your contact information in case someone wants to call, but I will tell you this. Roger is very eager to talk to people on Facebook. He will get into a discussion with you, a debate. So if you have that crazy question, you want to refute what he says, he would love to go after that. Um, just, just give me a call, send me a message, link on our we Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Is, it's got a group page out there too. So if yep. you have comments or questions, either me directly or there. But again, my name is Roger Bain. I'm at 443 Two seven five seven four one two. You can see my name up on the screen, I'm sure, because you're watching video through my feed on Facebook. So we appreciate that. Henry Zach's great to see you out there. I hope you're doing well up in Michigan. Uh, and, uh, just, just, just for the information, Henry Zach's and I have been doing business together since probably 1991 on some level or another. And he's been selling self-funded probably longer than I have. So wow. it's not just made up stuff. Well, well, Roger, this has been great. I really like this format. I love doing it on Facebook Live. We've got to do it again maybe next week this way. Maybe we will. We'll take a look and see what we're going to do. We'll work on that. And All right. Back. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, I appreciate everyone. you listening. You have to hit the end live video. I guess I do. Thank you. Everyone.